This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is the car show. It's called Cruise Control. My name is Richard Bradbury. As usual, I'm joined by my two friends and colleagues, Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Hello, everybody. Hello, Richard. Hello, Daniel. And Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, Daniel. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, and good day. It also plays Darth Vader in some of the other fan fiction movies that you might have seen. Uh, as usual, a show in three parts today. Local news coming up first, followed by some global car launches, wrapping up with a used car review of a 2002 Toyota Camry. And we've got million-dollar cars. We've also got some other stuff. But of course, kick us off, Arif, with that news. Since last week, really, a lot has changed, or maybe nothing will change. Oh. But I'm, of course, talking about um, the automotive industry. You know, it's reopening again after a really, really tough two and a half months. Uh, METI finally allowed car production lines to reopen in states under phase one starting today. Following up on this report, the MAA, Malaysian Automotive Association, reported that in this two and a half months, they've lost about 14 billion ringgit, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. They gave us some numbers as well, which is quite interesting. Sales for these two and a half months, or rather three months, amounted to 9,007 units. And production, cars produced in Malaysia, 3,051. And both of these numbers are 20% and 10% the projected total industry volume, which is supposed to be about 45,000 units. So quite a big drop there, Daniel. Yes, but you know, the thing is, there were still cars being produced because certain factories are located in states where they were able to still operate, however, sparingly because parts were unable to come in from other states and also parts were unable to come in from other countries. So this is a sad situation, but it's a global problem. Mm-hmm. Good thing it's opening up again, though. Yes, it is. And, you know, 15 billion, sorry, 14 billion sounds like a lot. But can you imagine, this is just the car industry. What about every other industry? So it's, it's a global problem. It's a Malaysian uh, total problem. So we'll just have to work around it. Well, uh, the FMCO didn't really end up working as, you know, as we point out. <laughs> That's putting it lightly, Arif. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it seems like this latest uh, political saga is going to keep on going on and going on. And we are going to be left behind the likes of Singapore who have decided to commit their entire postal fleet to 100% electric vehicles. Now, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Were they listening to us a few weeks ago? I think they must have been. Because we said the same thing. Let's get the postal fleet using electric vehicles to get things going. Uh-huh. Well, as much as we'd like to uh, say that that it was all us, actually, DHL did do that back in 2016. And, you know, as a result of the EU regulations nowadays, many countries in the EU are already doing that. But um, this is made easier, I guess, by the fact that they do have to renew their COEs every five or ten years, right? That's a Singapore issue. But, you know, if they did it in Malaysia, what's wrong? And the funny thing is both these vehicles that Singapore Post is using, which is the BYD van and the uh, Iona Rap three-wheelers uh, motorcycle, they are both not available in Malaysia. So I'm thinking to myself, and you heard it here first. Shall we get the franchise and start this business here? Hey, good idea. I mean, if Singapore is using it, they would have already done their trial, their testing, their research on it. So it'll probably be a very viable product to sell here. 
they've been they will have done their research into the ground so exactly you know, we exactly. know that it's going to work yes because singapore post is profitable and our postal service is not <laughs> By the way, a little bit more details on the three-wheeled electric scooter and the Chinese-made uh, van, the BYD. The scooter, 120 kilometers of range. They say that each day, the riders ride about 20 to 30 kilometers every day. So more than enough range to last a whole day worth of carrying goods. Um, you've got 50 kilograms uh, in terms of carrying load and electricals that have been tuned for delivery services. So, you know, stop-start traffic, low-speed traffic. Quite mm. interesting, though. Um, the Chinese-made BYD T3 van, that's made huge headlines in some parts of the world, mainly because of how normal it is and how usable it is. It's 300 kilometers of range, 3,800-litre cargo space, which is comparable to the Nissan vans that some of our delivery services use. Yes, the Nissan NV300 looks exactly like this. And the best part about this is it gets a 1.5 hour charge, zero to 100%. So if they even finish 300 kilometers of range by lunchtime, they can have lunch, get it up, charged and go out and do another 300 kilometers. So um, quite interesting as well that they marketed this van in Singapore on their website as the most reliable electric van. Don't know by who, but um, they said that. So it must be true. (laughs) And you know, in Singapore, you can't do false advertising. (laughs) <laughs> that's true ah, so they must be telling the truth but it's a quite interesting thing if they brought it over right 1.5 hour charge that's something brilliant well I know the three of us we can work it out and we can get the franchise for this <laughs> stop telling people about your ideas these are supposed to be things that you share in a WhatsApp group not on live radio yeah nobody will listen to us we only have what Three million listeners? Right. Apparently, WhatsApp phone numbers are quite public now. You can send in your letters of... We're not going to go there. No, we're not. (laughs) We're going to talk about something completely unrelated. Cars, Arif. Cars. Stay with the cars. Right. So, uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago, actually, there was the launch of the new Mercedes-Benz E-Class Saloon. Very nice. Well-spec'd. They provided an E200 and an E300 for people across uh, different price ranges. This week, they have launched the Coupe version, which is cool. I love the look of this. I've always loved the E-Class Coupe ever since the 90s version. This Coupe, however, arrives at 495,000 ringgit, which is about 50 grand more than the E300 Saloon, I think. And it's a pretty big price tag. Pretty normal spec on paper. Mid-range engine variant, four-cylinder turbo, 258 horsepower, nine-speed gearbox. It's got the new MBOX dual-screen system, all the safety kits, including a 360 camera. And the beautiful AMG line kit with 19-inch wheels, interior trims, and that new touch-sensitive steering wheel. Mm-hmm. It's worth 50000 more than the E-Class because it has pillarless windows. It has this beautiful dark mocha brown interior. It has that fancy open pore wood trim that you really like, Rich. Yeah. And a Burmester audio and that huge panoramic sunroof. I think it looks fantastic. It's a brilliant package as well. It could be the perfect coupe for a Malaysian who loves driving cross-country. Don't you guys agree? I love the look of it. I'm not so sure about the sunroof, though. Yeah, the large sunroof, you know, you know, some people don't like the heat, things like yeah. that, you know. But it's tinted. Yeah, it's tinted, but it's not 100%. Like, nothing like a steel roof, you know, when you talk about heat. And leakage. But other than that, <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at this car and I was thinking about... Um, in Europe, the E-Class Coupe isn't really being seen as, you know, the special Coupe in the Mercedes-Benz lineup. Because mm. you either buy the C-Class Coupe, another AMG Coupe, or a Mercedes S-Class Coupe. The E-Class is nowhere in between. 
But in Malaysia, 500,000 ringgit, you get a perfectly sized coupe. You can't really drive an S-class coupe around Malaysia because the roads are too small. Mm. The C-class is kind of boring, but the E-class, you know, just the right amount of luxury, the right amount of comfort, right amount of power. If you had to go across the country with this car, that would be amazing. I think the best part is the right kind of size because the C might be a little bit too small in the rear. Like you said, the S-class, you know, it's, it's just too wide. This is just the perfect size for a couple with a couple of kids or maybe a couple with a, you know, a couple of friends, you know, things like that. Rich, you've got a car about this size. I do. Would you get one of these? Uh, once I've eventually paid off the other one, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean in two months' time? In two, in two months' time, please. I, I love the look of it, I've got to admit. I think it's a beautiful looking car. Uh, the interior is really, really nice. Um, it, it's very stylish. Why not? It, it's a big price tag, though. Well worth it if you've got the money. If you've got the money, for sure. Speaking of big price tags. Uh, let's take a short break. Um, and when we do come back, we'll be uh, looking at some very expensive, but very beautiful cars. Uh, of course, on part two on Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Because freedom matters. BFM. 89.9 BFM 89.9 The Business Station My name is Rich Bradbury This is Cruise Control The car show here on BFM We're into part two now We've got some global car launches Coming up in just a moment um, I remember sending this link to Arif Just a few days ago About the launch of the new Lamborghini Countach And he just kind of went Ew, I'm not a real big fan Arif, what is wrong with you? I agree with Arif. I'm sorry, what? but I disagree with Arif. I thought I'd have you on my side, Daniel. No, because, you know, when I was growing up, I, sorry, Arif, to interrupt, but when I was growing up, I did not have this car as a poster on my wall. A lot of oh, my friends had it. Right, I see. But I looked at it. A kid can draw this. There's no there's no design element. There's no <laughs> there's no design excitement. You know, what? You know, you, you know, when you go to a house, you know, the little wedge you used to to keep your door from opening and closing. This is sac <laughs> this is just, sacrilegious. It's just that with wheels. And they've done the same thing again. Sacrilegious. That's it. I'm, le I'm leaving. Gone. Done. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure I agree with that, actually, Daniel. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Okay, okay. I think even though the, you know, the Lamborghini Countach, yes, is a wedge shape, you could pretty much buy a hash brown and call it a Lamborghini Countach. But there is a huge problem with this new one, and it's been pointed out by a lot of people. There seems to be like two different parties between this, the Richards and I guess the, the Arif and Daniels. Let me just quickly interrupt, right, very quickly. Back in 1980 uh, or 84, when I first saw it, I mean, it's been around, what, 50 years, right? But when I first saw it back in the 80s, it seemed to be that car that defined what the future might look like. Agreed, yeah. agreed. Right? Back in the 80s, at least, anyway. And I think that image of what it looked like um, has stuck in my mind for now. And, and then when I see this now, even though there's only been a few tweaks to it, you know, I mean, it still looks very much like a Countach or Countach or whatever you want to call it. For me, it still represents that vibe of 80s futurism. And I think it does, but it almost seems like, you know, we have all of these games like Grand Theft Auto and Cyberpunk who creates a real life inspired cars and takes it up another level. That kind of seems like what Lamborghini did with this. They went, 
We need a car that was inspired by the Countach and we'll take all of its beautiful styling cues, stick it on a new car and call it a Countach. But the best part about the Countach in the 1970s and the 80s was that for 20, 30 years, it looked like nothing else on the road. Mm. When you look at the, the Countach, the new Countach, the LPI 800-4 is what they're calling it. It's essentially a Lamborghini Aventador because as many, many people have pointed out, you know, the greenhouse, the glass space hasn't changed. The rear shape, no matter how angular it looks now, which to be fair, it looks good. It still looks like a Lamborghini Aventador to me. It, it doesn't stand out like a Lamborghini Countach. You are so right, Arif. It doesn't stand out. And that's the, that's the problem. And then you see... The other thing which you said also I have to add on, you see, like, there's nothing else out there that looks like it, right? And also when you drive it, you can't see anything else. <laughs> you can't see out back. You can't see at the sides. You hardly see anything in front of you, you know? The Countach basically created the myth that if you, had, if you had the money to buy a supercar, you were willing to suffer the consequences. The consequences of early death? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but as another auto journalist pointed out, Matt Farah, he's quite a popular guy on YouTube. He runs this uh, car show called The Smoking Tire. He himself had saved up a lot of money. He had a poster on his wall like Richard did. And he went out to buy a Countach five or six years ago. He pointed all of these things out. And he himself said that you might as well for this price, which is two and a half million US dollars. And they're all sold out. All 112 of them sold out. You might as well buy the original Countach because they literally cost a fraction of what this costs. Current classic car prices of the Countach, you know, it was produced, what, a 30-year run. There were so many different versions of them. You can get them for 200,000 US dollars all the way up to 1.1 million US dollars if you found a really special one. And I think that's the better choice. Why not get the original, not a replica of it, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, you're allowed your opinions, right? Yeah. It just so happens that your opinions are wrong. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> Quite often, I, I get that. <laughs> but um, this Matt Farah guy as well, he pointed out something very interesting to me. Um, you know, in the past five, six months, we've been, you know, reporting on all of these million dollar cars that nobody can really afford. Um, a year ago, we had the Lamborghini Sian. A month ago, we had the Aston Martin Valkyrie, which we spoke quite a lot about because mm. it was mainly very beautiful. And the cost of these cars, they're a million dollars or more. And it seems like there is a formula for these car makers. They're building special, quote unquote, one-off cars based on existing cars and charging a million bucks for them because they are so much easier to sell than your Ferraris, your Porsches, your BMWs. Mm. It seems to be an easy way to make money for these car manufacturers. And this seems to be an interesting trend. My worry is, you know, guys, when you, when you have such limited edition cars... After a few years, will there still be spare parts? Mm. Because you're making so few, you know, it's almost like a cottage industry. And then most of them are almost almost hand-built. Yep. Mm. So are you going to make a lot of spare parts to, to have ready for, you know, people who have little mishaps, little crashes, little accidents, whatever. So, you know, these are basically cars that are going to end up being in somebody's garage for show, somebody's living room, somebody's museum. And, and that's a sad thing. Oh dear, everybody's just going, oh no. It's, it's really sad, right? Which points us to the next million dollar plaything, which is the Bugatti Bulli. Just to put it out there, it really looks great. Now this for me is something out of, out of a video game. Yeah, yeah, but this is a good looking car. Look at the lines, look at the curves. You know, this, uh, this is a car that just by me, you know? 
it looks like uh, one of those uh, Vision Gran Turismo cars. If you've played Gran Turismo in these past 10 years, they've always contacted manufacturers, told them, you can design the craziest thing in the world. No rules apply. Gravity? What's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks fantastic, this thing. But going along with the theme of million-dollar cars, there will only be 40 units made, and apparently almost all of them are sold out. And it costs about 20 million ringgit. If you buy one now, it will only arrive in 2024. Wow. So who, who do you think in Malaysia bought one? Well, I don't think we're allowed to name names. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there are two sold in Malaysia. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, Husband and wife. Probably yep. two Lamborghini Countach's and two Bugattis, I'm sure. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. The idea of this Bugatti Bullet, as you can see, you know, it's quite a, quite a racing spec car. Uh, I've just discovered this as well. You know, there's a lot of racing series going on all across Europe, even now, right? Right. Racing championships, you've got GT3, GT4, you've got your small little leagues and everything. So the idea is that you send your race car via truck between all of these circuits, but you drive your own car. That's what racing drivers apparently do around Europe. You drive on car to different cities and different locations. Correct. So the idea with this bullet is that you use your Bugatti Chiron to drive down the Autobahn from somewhere in Germany all the way to Belgium to Spa-Francorchamps, uh, for example. And over there in Spa is your Bugatti Bolide waiting. And this Bugatti Bolide, very, very powerful car. 1,600 horsepower, 1,600 newton meters of torque from an 8-liter quad-turbo W16 engine. Full-on cup spec. It's got apparently design aerodynamics and handling to meet FIA safety standards. It's even got automatic fire extinguishing system in the engine bay as well as six-point seat belt. So it's super serious. The problem is, I've spoken a lot about all of these race cars. Mm. All of these race cars weigh one ton. This Bugatti weighs about 1,450 kilograms. It costs 4 million euros, which is probably the cost of two GT3 cars. And it's so fast that you probably wouldn't want to race anybody else in this car. And there is no car. There's no race car or cup car that meets this sort of level of performance. So who are you going to race? What is this car for? For showing off, that's all. It's a garage queen. You're not going to want to race it either. You know, you, it's one of those cars that you're going to get out every now and again, sit in it, rev it up, say, listen how nice that sounds, and then switch it off again. Yeah, because if something goes wrong, there might not be spare parts. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, guys, since you're talking about racing and, and gentleman racers, do you know there's a Malaysian team racing this coming weekend at Le Mans? Really? Yep. I just thought I'll mention it because you mentioned racing. It's a Malaysian team, a Malaysian-sponsored car, and a Malaysian driver. That's interesting. Who is it? A gentleman called Dato Adrian De Silva. Ah. And he's driving in a Porsche at uh, Le Mans this weekend. Fantastic. Mm, and yeah. as usual, Le Mans, you can see 24-hour highlights on YouTube. So we can yep. spot that car. Yep. So we wish him all the luck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got a very special car before we end this segment. Uh, the Nissan 400Z. I like this car. It's a bit of a crowd favorite. This is a car that we can all agree on. <laughs> mm. And it's affordable. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's reachable. Yeah. Uh, none of this uh, million dollar nonsense. It's apparently going to cost about 40,000 US dollars in the US. Convert, convert, I guess, about 300,000 ringgit in Malaysia, including taxes. The previous Z was just above 300,000. So let's say 350 with everything in. Okay, la, boleh tahan, la, you know? <laughs> Um, it's a fantastic return of the Z though, because the old 370Z, I think first launched in 2009, way old. In fact, a 2013 370Z was apparently sold about a week ago in the US, brand new. 
that's how much nobody wanted the 370Z anymore. Right. Currently, though, this new 4 Z, I think, my opinion, the best looking sports car on sale today. Mm, definitely. And, and it looks like the most affordable. Uh, it emphasizes the long bonnet, the short fastback styles of the old Z. It retains right. the six-cylinder engine of the old Zs as well. Uh, now gets a three-liter twin-turbo V6 from the Infiniti Q50 Red Sport, which makes about 400 horsepower. You get a nine-speed automatic or... Um, cheer for the enthusiasts. In 2023, you will be able to get this car with a six-speed manual and, quote-unquote, a high-performance clutch to go racing with. Ooh. <laughs> I love the unison there. But, Richard, mm. check out that interior. You know, you know what? And I, I know in the notes you've said ignore the interior, um, but I like it. You like this blue? Yeah. If the car outside is also blue, the blue inside looks good. Fair point, but it's a bit strong. It, it's very strong, and I think that's perhaps why I like it, uh, because it's like, I'm going to be blue, um, and it is. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's no messing around. There's none of these highlights or anything. It's like, it's blue. Yep, yep. <laughs> Daniel, any thoughts on the blue? I like it. I like the way this car looks. I like the interior. I like the color combination. I like everything about it. Also, the fact that it's a three-liter, you know, it's Rotex friendly. If you think about it, you know, long-term, mm. So I think, oh, yes. I mean, I love what they've done with the interior. Um, it, it's definitely stepped up from what it used to be. It's, it's very modern looking. Yeah, winner, 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 winner. I've only sat in a couple of Z cars, and they've always got this like cocoon-like feeling. It's very low slung. you got the manual gearbox that's very present, and the three-spoke steering wheel, very present as well. Um, it's very much the same inside, low slung, high sill, so you feel very much within the car, which is great for a sports car. Digital cluster, um, nine-inch infotainment, lovely steering wheel, and three small gauges in the center, just like the old cars used to do, showing the voltage, turbo speed, and the boost. And as Rich said, you know, they've really clustered up with this interior. It's fantastic. Though, knowing the track record of really good sports cars that never make it to Malaysia... Um, we likely won't see one, right? Don't say it. Tan Chong, please. <laughs> well, you know, if Tan Chong doesn't bring it in, let me tell you this. In exactly 11 months from now, you'll see it in grey car importers, yeah. uh, showrooms, and the price should be less than 300000 because it'll be used. That's a very good point. Very good mm. point. Fingers crossed. Yep. Fingers I mean, crossed. The, the only, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the interior is definitely a step up. But, you know, it's still, if you look really closely at, has a bit of a plasticky vibe to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But but I'm willing to forego that. Okay, having said that, Richard, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but going by what Nissan has been delivering for the last 15, 20 years, it may look a bit plasticky, but it'll still feel better than some of the the, the interiors that are coming from the European rivals, uh, yeah. which yeah. is quite sad, you know? I agree. I got one more question, though, actually, before we end. Oh, go on then. You know, we did the E300 Coupe. Okay. Mm that or this well this is a smaller car the E300 is, is bigger the Mercedes-Benz is more luxurious this is more in your face driving uh, I think it's not a comparison I think it's two different animals but if you're asking me which would, would I buy I'll say at this point I'll wait for both to depreciate and then I'll make a decision <laughs> <laughs> wise man speaking mm. if it was an impulse decision that I'd have to purchase now at the end of the shopping aisle it would be the Nissan mm, I totally agree on that note, we're wrapping up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of part two here on Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. When we come back, we'll be looking at a used car review. It's the 2002 Toyota Camry. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9.
Embalming Frustrated Minds. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control. As usual, I'm joined on the phone lines uh, with Arif Ruz, a man with the news, and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. If you're only just joining us, we've had some local news about the automotive industry, how it's reopened here in Malaysia. Uh, Singpost's EV fleet and Mercedes-Benz E300 Coupe. We then moved on to some global car launches. Uh, for those of you that have got a lot of money, and for those of you that want the new Nissan 400Z, or just the Nissan, you know, Z. Uh, and then we now have uh, a used car review. We're coming back down to earth with a bit of a bump. It's the 2002 Toyota Camry. Why this one this week? This is a surprise decision. Purely surprised because, you know, I've, to be honest, there are so many on the road, but I never really observed it because you know why? It's it's It can be a little bland, right? Yes. It's, it's a Camry. Yeah, it's not the most exciting looking Camry also. but It's a very comfy ride coming back down though from uh, Cameron Highlands. Yes, we've tried it. Yes. So I'm glad that you say that because I happened to be in a little bit of a traffic jam a few days ago. And this was because of a pop-up roadblock in my neighborhood. So right next to me was this model Camry. And in the car, there was a man, single driver, in front seat, full of barang. You know, He had a lot of stuff in the front seat. He had a lot of stuff in the back seat. I'm not talking about garbage or dirt. He, you know, like boxes and, and things. Maybe he was moving house or moving office or what. I don't know. Like, mm. And he seemed quite happy in the car. And I looked at the car, I said, hey, isn't this an old Camry? And it, it was in beautiful condition. The paint was perfect. You know, as you, as you crawl in a traffic jam, you start noticing things like this, you know? Mm. Yep. His wheels were not curbed. Uh, the paint finish, was, like I said, the paint finish was fine. The trim on the doors, the front bumper, the rear. You know, as, as, I, as we moved, you know, I was edging forward and then he was edging forward. And I was saying, this is a well-preserved car. And I was thinking, how old is this car? You know, I remember test driving it many years ago. So after I passed the roadblock, I came back home and I did some some research online and I realized that this guy is 20 years old. It's held up really well. Yes. And, you know, the thing is about cars and, 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 and human beings, the moment you notice something, you keep noticing it more, you know? <laughs> so over the next couple of days as I was going out, you know, because, you know, doing errands and everything else, I started noticing a lot of these Camrys on the road and all of them were actually in very good condition. And then I said to myself, this is a perfect car to do an article about. And, you know, it could be something that people have forgotten or just totally slipped their mind. So I did more research and I looked at the price and this is, this was shocking, really shocking. I mean, this car came out in July 2002. It's actually a 2001 model, but it came out in Malaysia in 2002 because we were also just coming out of the financial crisis, uh, you know, the ASEAN crisis and, you know, the dot-com crisis and all kinds of crises. So, you know, the, the market was not doing so well. And then suddenly there was a bit of a boom in 2001. So by 2002, uh, UMW Toyota brought this kind. And you must remember, this was a time when nobody looked at SUVs. SUVs were not important. Mm. I mean, at that time, if you wanted an SUV, you'll probably have to look at a Nissan Terrano, you know, or a yes. first-generation X-Trail or, you know, BMW X3, those were the SUVs of the day. But nobody was interested in SUV. People wanted sedans. And, you know, if you're in a business, uh, an SME owner, a small business owner, or you had a, a big company and you, you needed something for the corporate car park for all your senior uh, staff managers, this is the kind of car people were buying. It was mm -hmm. either this, the first generation Nissan Tiana, which came right after the, the last Safero, mm -hmm. or the Honda Accord. But somehow or other, the Honda Accord was not 
in the mix. It, it was always like the Honda Accord was a little bit of a out in the left field, you know. So yeah. it was between the Nissan Tiana, the first first generation model, and this car. And the Tiana didn't sell very well for some reason. I really can't understand why. You didn't see many on the road. And even in the classifieds, you don't see a lot. But this car came and it was so popular. And it's funny because when you think about it, it wasn't the most good-looking car also. I mean, even till today, you look at it. It's, it's not a very handsome car. Mm. But what attracted a lot of Malaysians to it was its size. Because this Camry is big. Till today, I think it's the biggest Camry in the market. It's taller, it's wider, it's longer, it's got more legroom. I mean, Richard, you sat in it. Yeah. And there's a lot of space in front and in the rear and in the boot. Exactly. I, I sat in the back for the entire journey down from Cameron Highlands. And I had so much space, super comfortable. Mm. Highly recommend it if you have to hire a car or anything or anybody's driving you around in one of these things. Fantastic, super yes. comfy. And the funny thing is, you know, despite its, its large size and all that, it only had two engine choices, which was a 2-litre and a 2.4. Now, both engines at that time were brand new Toyota technology engines. So, of course, when they brought it in, it was an all-new engine system. Until today, Toyota has not ex- actually totally revamped that engine technology. Yeah, it's the same 2-litre, 2.4-litre that you might see in some of the Fortuners that they sold three years ago, right? Yes. I mean, over the years, they improved on it. But, you know, the same base technology, they still used it. All aluminium engine. It was beautifully reliable, so good to drive. And, you know, after I put this article up, the response from some of the readers were like, yeah, I still have mine. You know, I used to own one. It's fantastic. It never broke down. One guy even said for five years, he didn't have to change the brake pad, suspension, nothing. He just serviced the car. Yeah, you know, so it's a fantastic, fantastic product from Toyota. So now let's talk about you know, you're buying it used, okay? So I went and looked at the used car values, and this is a shocking thing. Now at launch in 2002, the 2.4 was 183,000 ringgit, which was the most expensive in its class, okay? Mm. The two liter was 154,000. So there's a bit of a almost $29,000 price difference, which makes a big difference. But a lot of people opted for the 2.4 because, you know, business was booming. It was a big car. Immediately when you drive it, you can feel the difference between the two liter and the 2.4, okay? Because of the size. Now, when I looked at today's prices, my God, it's depreciated 90%. And it's a Toyota. But why is it depreciated so much? Because of the shape. I think it's just because of the shape, nothing else. I also think mainly because (laughs) it began to be viewed as an uncle's car. Well, Camrys have always been uncle cars. Nissan Tiana always been uncle cars. Only the Honda Accord was like, hey, you know, I'm a bit trendy, you know. But but this version of the Camry was more uncle than the others. It was more more uncle than a Volvo S80. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you look at the interior, right? You got, uh, I think, plastic fake wood trim, super soft, super supple fabric seats. You got airbags. Nothing about it is... is uh, It is the ideal semi-VIP taxi vehicle. Yes. It, it, it'll make a perfect airport taxi. It'll make a perfect, yes. you know, a long-distance taxi like what Richard used it for, you know? It's inoffensive. Yes, exactly. And it won't cost a bomb to run. So... As I did more research on the car, I remember at that time, I just started out in the business. I remember taking this car out for test drive and it was so boring. I mean, really boring. <laughs> but it had so much space in it. You know, at that time, I didn't have kids. It had so much space. You could basically just sleep in the car, you know. Mm. The boot was huge. 
but it was so comfortable. You didn't have to stop at any speed bump. You didn't have to stop at any road imperfection. You just drive over it and it doesn't thud and bump. It just like, you know, wallows along, you know? Yes. So it's like a big cruise ship just moving on the road. And I remember going a little bit fast with it and it just held its line. It was so weighted and well secured, you know? Yeah. So Toyota had done a very good job. Of course, that time was a brand new car. Everything was new tires, brakes, suspension, everything else. Now, 19, 20 years later, of course, you're going to get some wear and tear and you're going to get some issues with the car. But when I checked online, it was funny because nearly every car on sale from a used car dealer, not from a private sale, started with one VIP owner. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, so what? Only VIPs bought these cars? No. But because it's got that uncle image, they're just using the advertisement of one VIP owner. A lot of them, a lot of them, 100% king of car. Okay, I look at the interior, this car doesn't weather. The cloth seats, they don't weather. So, of course, you can say king of car because the car is not weathered. (laughs) And then, of course, you want to go for a test drive, you want to check what's running. Now, being a Toyota and being a very simple, well-built Toyota, from that era, everything should be working all your warning lights your power window your central locking your electric seat you know and there shouldn't be any noise like when you're moving your electric seat up and down it should be just quiet you know yeah now if you take a european car from this era it'll be creaking and groaning and maybe rising will not work or reverse will not work but with this car everything will work now the other important factor to look at is because it's already 20 years you know, because this car ran, it was selling right up to 2005. So you can also look for a 2005 car, which is slightly more expensive. But the fact that it's been running for a long time, there will be units out there who have seen some very bad accidents repaired and put back in the used car market. Okay? So check for crash damage. Now, to check for crash damage, you start with the boot. I think I've said this before. Open the boot. Check the welding seams around the edges. Open the boot carpet remove the spare tire. Why you have to remove the spare tire? Because the welding seams are in there. Now, if the car had a really bad rear accident, all that will not be nice and smooth and in line. Mm-hmm. And then finding a car with the original paint, almost impossible because of the age. But I'm sure if you can find one, you've got a really good buy there already starting because you'll understand that the car has not had an accident, right? Mm. If it's had a bumper accident or, you know, a slight door knock, don't eliminate the car. Because why? This is KL. This is Malaysia. You know, motorcycles knocking into you, you hitting a small curb, you know, someone giving you a fender bender. It's normal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you might see paint indifference with the bumper and the body because the bumper is plastic. When they respray, they can't match the body color because the paint is old. So like I said, check with the boot. Once you're done with the boot, go around to the doors. All four doors should shut smoothly with the gap lines all very nice and even then open the front open the hood look in the engine bay the seams on the side on the edges they all should be straight and aligned then look at the firewall you know where it meets the 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 windscreen all should be straight and and, you know with, with no indiscretions and then start the engine get the owner or the used car dealer to start the engine keep the engine the hood open listen to the engine this is a toyota it should be silky smooth Now, the only noise you should hear, if there's any real noise, is the aircon compressor, okay? Everything Mm. else should be really nice and quiet. The engine bay, of course, will be clean. Everybody is selling a car will wash the engine bay, so don't worry about that. Now, the problem with some of these older cars is over time, of course, you can't get all the service record, but if you got the service record, great. But if you don't get all the service record, you have to check whether the car has been serviced properly, 
this kind of cars, you don't need very high-end, you know, engine oil to be used, but it has to be serviced regularly. So at least you need the last two to three years service record. You don't need 15 years or 20 years, at least the last three years. Then, you know, the last three years, the car was looked after. Then one common problem with this Camry is the CV joints, the drive shaft CV joints. A lot of them fail, I would say, earlier than they should. So when you take it for test drive, make sure you, you do a hard left and a hard right going slow so that you can hear whether there's any clicking noise. Because for you to go underneath the car and check whether it's torn, you know, could be a bit difficult. But if you could get it checked, not very expensive to replace, you know, a couple of hundred dollars, not a big deal. And then, you know, just look around the car, look around for wear and tear. I mean, yes, most of them might have been family cars. Most of them, you know, would have had, it's a cloth interior, some stains. Maybe the dealer has taken some trouble to get rid of the stains. Babies vomit, you know, things like that. But understand this, you're paying really, really good price for this car. So what we saw in the market was between 12, 13,000 ringgit to as high as 22,000 ringgit for a 15-year-old unit. And I'm thinking, even if you go for a 15-year-old unit at that price, at the most you're going to lose is another 10,000 over the next five years, you know? Mm, mm. But if you get the $11,000, $12,000 unit, which is 19, 20 years old, how much can you lose? Mm. It's, it's, it's impossible to lose money, you know? It's, it's a net win in, in every case. Exactly. It's, the only question is, can you live with the look of the car? And can you live with the fact that the uncle car image, you know? <laughs> can you live with the fact that it's brown? The wrong kind of brown. You know, some people like brown, you know, like, I mean, my family likes brown because I'm brown. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so anyway, Twitter Camry, used car review. I think you should consider it if you're looking for cheap, cheerful, big, reliable family transport. And that's a good review. You know, if it's not something fancy you're looking for, if it's something, like you say, reliable, gets you from A to B, got plenty of space, good family car, it's a good price. Yeah, it's a winner. I get the feeling that no matter if you get an older version or a newer version, they are all going to be as predictable as each other. So it doesn't really matter whether you get the eleven or the $21,000 car. Exactly. And, and the thing is, you see... Okay, take for example, like uh, one of my friends who commented, now this guy has got a, a million dollar luxury car, he's got a few SUVs, all million dollar cars, and he's still keeping his Camry. So I asked him, I said, you know, I thought he sold it. He said, no, I'm keeping it because why? It never fails. Mm. <laughs> so when he said that, I said, are you trying to tell me your other nine luxury cars fail? He didn't answer me. <laughs> but that's the problem with a lot of luxury cars today, the last five years. A lot of luxury, a lot of tech, especially plug-in hybrid cars, electric cars. He's got an electric car also. He's had his issues. But this car, like he said, never fails. So he keeps it in the garage. I knew a lot of people who, uh, they, they own a lot of luxury cars, but then they will always have that one car that just kept on running and they wouldn't mind parking it at the side of the road. If it gets dinged, they just don't care about it. Exactly. Mm. Cars for Friday prayers, they used to call it. Yeah, okay, yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we used to call it a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a car that looks like it will outlive anything. Exactly, exactly. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And there's still spare parts for it. And on that note, let's wrap up today's show. Ladies and gents, you've been tuned in to Cruise Control, the car show here in BFM. As usual, I've been joined on the phone lines by Arif Ruse, the man with the news. Say goodbye, Arif. Goodbye, everybody. And the car reviewer du jour, of course, was Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say goodbye, Daniel. Goodbye, good night, and thank you for listening again. 
If you're joining us just now, you've missed the show, but it does mean you can download the podcast wherever you normally download it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store. We've been speaking about how the automotive industry has reopened here in Malaysia. SyncPost EV fleet. We had a bit of a chat about the Mercedes-Benz E300, million-dollar cars, the new Nissan 400Z, and, of course, the car review was the 2002 Toyota Camry. Tune in again next week, same time, same place here on BFM 89.9. for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.